My name is Pastor Dave, and it is my distinct privilege to conclude our series um, on your mark. On the Gospel of Mark, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, actually, all of 2019. And some of you are probably like, yes, we're finally done. And some of you are like, aww. And so, I don't know where you fall in there, but we've walked all the way through this book, and... Uh, just last week, we, we got to the resurrection, right? Kind of the climax of the story. And now we have kind of a, a, little, uh, a little section at the very end that we're going to walk through today. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard a story that was just so incredible that it was almost unbelievable? Yes? Many of you probably have, right? You've, you've, you've probably all heard a story bef- before and, you know... Maybe it was uh, maybe it was someone one of your buddies came back from fishing and told you about all the fish they caught, right? And you're like, come on, or who knows? But I can remember one in particular, and you have to journey with with me back to 1985, right? Any baseball junkies in here besides me? A couple of you. All right, I bet you all probably remember this story. Then 1985, um, ESPN and Sports Illustrated kind of um, combined and got in on this story that. There was this prospect in New York Mets camp. And this prospect was like no one that had ever been heard of before, right? And so, as the story goes, it was a man by the name of Sid Finch. And Sid Finch had kind of started off and he had this bright sort of business career out in front of him. In fact, he was at Harvard Business School and, and everything was looking bright for him. And he just one day got up and left school. And he left school, and it just turned out this was one of those kind of renaissance men. He was just amazing at everything. And so he actually left school and began wandering the the world, and he became a yogi. Who knows what a yogi is? More people know yogi than baseball. All right. It's someone who does yoga, right? Or a teacher, maybe. I think maybe it's, is it a teacher? It's a teacher. Our, Our resident yogi in the back tells me it's a teacher. All right. And so... He becomes a yogi, and, um, and then he actually takes up the French horn and becomes this amazing French horn player. But it turned out that where his real gift lied was actually in baseball. He was this amazing pitcher. And so, many of you may remember this story, but here's a picture of him. This was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? Here's this guy, Sid Finch, and he's kind of like you expect, he's eccentric, He's a little bit weird. He's, there he is. He's in khakis. He's got one boot on. His other shoe is on the ground. He's barefoot, right, on his landing foot. And so he was a pitcher. And the Mets kept everything top secret. ESPN actually showed some footage of this, of their bullpen, and it was completely covered in blue tarps. They wouldn't let anyone in to see him. And uh, all you could hear was kind of like the thump of the catcher's mitt. You just hear this thump of him just pounding this catcher's mitt. And everyone was so excited to see this guy. And, and there was a couple of brief appearances of him, you know, where he was with some other Mets prospects. And in fact, there, Sports Illustrated finally writes an article about him and about this whole kind of mythology around him in this story. And, and as the story goes, his first time ever even pitching against anyone he faced three Mets prospects. One of them you may have heard of before, Lenny Dykstra, right? Ended up being our center fielder for years. And so they described 
that facing him that it was they had no chance. They all talked about how they had faced Doc Gooden, you know, Dwight Gooden, who was another young pitcher who threw pretty hard himself, right? And at the time, they said facing Sid Finch was like, Dwight Gooden was really hard to hit. He said, facing Sid Finch is impossible. No one will ever get a hit off this guy. He throws that incredibly hard. In fact, they actually got a radar gun and supposedly clocked him at over 150 miles an hour. And so when Sports Illustrated finally releases this article, and I'm reading this whole thing, and I'm so excited about this. And then you look back at the cover, and you notice the date, April 1st, 1985. The entire thing was this elaborate April Fool's joke that was carried on for months by the New York Mets, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN. Crazy. This unbelievable story, but... I remember being so wrapped up in it and so excited about Sid Finch and I got to the end of the article and I was like, come on! He's not real? And I only can imagine what the disciples must have felt like and these women. You see, we, 2,000 years later, have the benefit of the whole story. We know what happens. Even though Jesus had warned the disciples and told them what was going to happen... Over and over again, he said, I'm going to leave. I'll come back. I'm going to send you the the helper. It's going to be better for you when I leave. He said this over and over again. And yet still, they didn't get it. They didn't know the end of the story. And so this morning, I want to take a few moments and really look at this passage of Scripture and the different reactions that different people had to the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us today. But before we dig in, um, I want to talk a little bit about this scripture. Did anyone o- actually open their Bible when we read this morning? Anyone? Yeah, people don't open Bibles anymore. You use your phone or here. One interesting thing, if you do, just take a moment with me and just, just grab your pew Bible. Because I want to show you something I think is significant. It's on page 932. It's the black thing in front of you. It says Bible on it. It may or may not be on your app, on your phone. Right? And if we look between verse 8 and verse 9, there's a little, uh, a little notation there, right? And this occurs a couple times in the Gospels. It says, The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. Now, we're going to take a, br- a brief respite from the sermon and talk about that a little bit. Pretend like we're in a little seminary class here. The interesting thing about this and some of these other passages of Scripture is we have a lot of evidence. In fact, I would say 99.9% of all biblical scholars will tell you that this, these verses were not in the original Mark text. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, what is mentioned in your Bible there, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts don't have it. They end at verse 8. They end right there. There are actually a few manuscripts that include one other sentence about Peter. Probably because Peter helped write Mark, right? And then there's some later manuscripts and a lot of them that have verses 9 through 20. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, Pastor Dave, if it's not in the Bible, why are you preaching on it this morning? Well, for a couple reasons. Number one, before Pastor Andy realized he was going to be in Ireland, he requested to preach on this passage. 
So it was already in the schedule. <laughs> so we rolled with it. Now, and the other thing is, everything that's found in Mark 9 through 20, the reason it's even in your Bible at all, is because everything that's there is found in one of the other Gospels. So it's not like any of this stuff is made up. We know that this section is all true. Just most likely it was added after the fact. We know that because of several reasons. Number one, there's like five words in the original Greek in this section that don't occur anywhere else in the book of Mark. So we're pretty sure Mark didn't actually write this. What most likely happened is the abrupt ending in verse 8, one of the early disciples didn't like. And they were like, hey, let's, add, let's help Mark out a little bit. Let's, he's not a very good writer. Let's help him out and add this in. That's probably what honestly most likely happened. But we do know that they got this from the other Gospels, and so we're okay. We're going to talk about it this morning. Everything's good. So I want to talk about the different reactions. And the first reaction I want to do is I want to back up to verse 8. I want to back up one verse to verse 8. Right? And if you remember, we go back, we remember, and so we have Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They're all there, and they brought spices. They brought spices. We also know Mary, um, the wife of Cleopas, was there. The same person as Mary, the mother of James, right? And um, they brought spices to anoint Jesus. And they get into the tomb, and they find the tomb empty, and they find an angel inside. And the angel comes to him and says, listen, don't be afraid. Jesus is not here. He's risen from the dead. Go and tell all the disciples and Peter, tell all of them what you saw here. And verse 8 says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So the first reaction we get here is, when we look at how we respond to the resurrection, the first reaction is the women. They were terrified. Trembling, bewildered, they ran away. Now, let's give them some credit, right? Because the women of all of these followers of Jesus were probably the bravest. The men ran away long ago. All right? Jesus' disciples, they ran away way earlier in the story. Going back to his arrest, right? They all got out of Dodge. They took off right away. John was, John was so afraid, he left without his clothes. His cloak got caught on something. He ran away naked. That's how scared John was, right? Peter was so afraid that he ran. He kind of hid in the outskirts to see what was going on because he was really curious. He denied Jesus three times that he even knew him, right? All the guys are gone. We don't even hear about the rest of them. They just, they scattered. They got out of there. The women stay all the way through to the crucifixion. They do somehow convince John to come back with them. I guess once he got clothes back on, he was a little braver. I don't know. So they convince John he's there also. But it's just the women who stay the whole time. It's just the women who are going to the tomb right away. The disciples are all hidden up together. And so let's not be too hard on them. But as they get there, their response is fear. They're terrified. They have no idea what to do next. An angel tells them, go, give this message to the disciples. And instead they, they flee. Now maybe 
you've all probably experienced fear in one way or another in your life, right? Fear of rejection, fear of something you're trying to accomplish, fear of being accepted, fear of, you know, fill in the blank. But we've all been there. We've all experienced this before. The second group is the disciples, right? They're met with extreme disbelief, so much so that multiple people come to them and say, we've seen Jesus, he's risen from the dead, and they don't believe it. It starts off with Mary Magdalene. She runs. She says, I've seen Jesus. They don't believe her. Then these two followers of Jesus that are on a road, the road to Emmaus, they come back, they tell them, they say, we don't believe it. The disciples are met with incredible disbelief. Maybe that's been you at one time or another. Maybe when you're faced with something that, that God is calling you to or something in front of you, you, you hesitate. You don't quite have that faith, that belief. That's where the disciples are at now. Jesus has been very clear with them. Listen, I'm going to leave and you're going to carry on my mission. And the second he goes away, they go into hiding. Disciples experience disbelief. Then we have Thomas. He's, he's extra special, right? Not only does he not believe, but even when Jesus finally does come, he still doesn't believe. Even once Jesus walks through a wall and comes in and interrupts their meal and says, hey guys, I'm home, I'm here. Thomas is still like, nah. Right? It's not until, you remember the story? Not until he touches the holes in his hand and his side. Or maybe we relate most to the two disciples on the road, right? Now, in this Mark passage, we don't get much information. In the Mark passage, it just said, Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. But if we read the Luke passage, we know that, that what's happening is two of these followers of Jesus are leaving Jerusalem. They're going home. They're going on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving. They're going to their house. And so they're, Jesus is dead. Not much here for me anymore. We're going to go home. And we actually know more about those two than you might even think about, right? In the Luke passage, one of them is referred to as Cleopas. And as the story goes, they're walking, Cleopas and this other person are walking, they're walking home, and as they're, as they're journeying home, a third person comes alongside them. And that third person is Jesus. And as they're talking, the person says, hey, what are you talking about? And they're like, Wait, are you a stranger to Jerusalem? Do you not know what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth. They just put him to death. They crucified him. They, for no reason, they crucified him. And now he's missing. And some of the women are saying that he, he's risen again. And they've seen him. They have no idea that he's right there with them. And they go on this journey and they get all the way to their house and they, they beg him, hey, come inside. Come inside and have a meal with us. And he sits down and, and finally when he breaks that bread and he hands it to them, they realize it's Jesus, the Messiah. And he has risen and he is there. But the whole time he's with them, they have no clue what's going on. 
They're lost. They're confused. And so, with all of these stories, with, with fear, with doubt, with disbelief, with no clue, I don't know where you might be at in your own life. Maybe you're feeling anxious. Maybe you're experiencing worry. Maybe you're just tired from life. Maybe you are experiencing fear. Or maybe you're going through a crisis of belief. But the great news for them back then and for all of us is that no matter where we are, Jesus meets us there. Let's look back to this story, right? It starts off with the women. So we have the Marys, and they're right there at the tomb, and they're going to leave the spices and and to put them on Jesus' body and to honor him, and, and all of a sudden he's not there, and they're terrified. So what does Jesus do? He meets them all, one by one, in a more gentle, quiet way. He meets Mary Magdalene in the garden, right? She thinks he's the gardener at first. But he introduces himself gently and he restores her. We believe and understand that, that the two people on the road to Emmaus were Cleopas. We know that from scripture. Well, it only makes sense that the person going with Cleopas to his house is probably the wife of Cleopas, Mary. Right? Who was one of the other women who was anointing Jesus' body. And so Jesus meets her on a road and gently reveals himself to her. He takes their fears and he calms them. He meets them where they're at. We look at the disciples. What does Jesus do for them? Scared, disbelief. What does he do? He goes, interrupts their dinner party, walks through a wall. For Thomas, he goes to the length of even showing him, put, taking Thomas's hand and putting it in the hole in his own. Jesus meets them where they're at. Helps them through their crisis of belief. What does he do for the couple on the road? Well, he walks with them. He journeys with them. He lets them go through their own story. He gets all the way to their house. And then he reminds them of who he is when he does that act of breaking bread. Just as his body was broken, as he breaks the bread, they recognize and realize this is the Messiah. In the Luke passages, it says, we're not our hearts burning within us. No matter what it is that you're walking through today in your life, Jesus will meet you there. I don't know what it is. But in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your joy, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of whatever you're walking through, Jesus will meet you there. And when he does... The only appropriate way for us all to respond to the resurrection as we celebrate it each and every week is what Jesus asked us to do. Go and make disciples. I say that and some people are like, no, 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 no. Pastor Dave, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not going to go out and sit on a corner and tell people about Jesus. No one thinks you should do that. Right? That's probably a bad idea. But what does God actually call us to do? He says, well, when God strengthens us, when God meets us where we're at, when God fills us with his spirit, the really better way, instead of go and make disciples, it's as you're going. 
as you're going through life, whatever it is that you do on your daily basis, make disciples. That means today, this afternoon, if you go spend the afternoon at the beach, strike up a conversation with someone. Talk to the person you park next to. That means as you're getting your hair cut, talk to your barber or hairstylist or the person that cuts your hair. Right? That means as you're at a restaurant, show love to your waiter or waitress in a special way that you can reach out to them. It means as you're going through life, whatever it is you're doing, share the love of Christ with people. That's what we're all about as a church. That's what Jesus sends us on mission. He says, I am calling you to go. And as you go, share my love with everyone you meet. I love the way that this passage concludes. So Jesus comes. We get all of these initial responses. And then he goes back around to the people and he reassures them. And he, he makes sure that they're okay. He gives them their marching orders. And then he says this. Verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven He sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Jesus meets us. He empowers us. He equips us. He lets the disciples see a glimpse of his glory. And then they go and change the world. I don't know where Jesus is calling you, but I do know that if we are faithful to sharing his love, that we will change the world. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, life, this life can be a struggle. There's many challenges we face. Fear, disbelief, Worry, confusion, doubts. Father God, in the midst of all of that, you meet us where we're at. What a blessing that is. And Father God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the strength, the desire, the will to share your love with the world. Amen.